Your website may be pretty, it may look great, but have you ever wondered, is it actually smart? Frankly, it might not be all that smart if it's delivering wrong answers when people search for information. This is where Yext Answers come in. Yext Answers adds a powerful search engine to your website so your customers get an official answer to every question, not just a load of links to ads. And that means that you can drive more transactions and reduce your support costs. The best part is it's free to try. All you have to do is go to yext.co.uk slash campaign and learn more about how Yext Answers can help your website have beauty and brains the whole package yext.co.uk slash campaign hello everyone welcome to the campaign podcast this is the place where we talk about what's going on in the uk advertising and media industry as hopefully you'll have guessed when you clicked on this podcast i am omar oaks campaigns media and technology editor and i'm Brittany keeper the creativity and culture editor and later in the episode Brittany will be speaking to james murphy the founder of new commercial arts and mets brian fazano co-founder and production leader of mother's spin-off shop other They'll be discussing what it's like to launch a startup in the midst of a global pandemic. And we've actually seen a huge amount of new companies being created over the last year. And I think it's fair to say gradually the ad land map is starting to look quite different indeed. So hello, Brittany. How's it going? What have you been up to? Uh, Tell our listeners glamorous tales of a life of a campaign journalist. (laughs) Hi, Omar. Yeah, it's very glamorous, um, spending a lot of time in my bedroom and at my kitchen table. And I've been watching a lot of TV. I don't know if that's something anyone can relate to. (laughs) I think just a few. Yeah. What have you been watching? I'm actually watching The Sopranos for the first time. Oh, wow. Uh, It's a big big commitment because I think there's around 84 episodes over six seasons, and I'm only early in season two. Uh, so I've got a long way to go, but what's your season one review? How's it going? I think that it's. <laughs> I feel I don't want to desecrate a, a classic in the TV canon. I think it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, like six my out of ten. review. Yeah, my review is probably a six out of ten at the moment. Um, I, that's probably like saying the Beatles are okay, but I, I'm not totally hooked on it. Uh, I I, I'm not, I must admit, I've not seen it myself. It's one of those things that's on my list, but I just haven't got around to watching because it's always there. You know, I'll get to it eventually. Um, is, there's, isn't there a spin-off movie happening with James Gandolfini's son, who's going to play Tony Soprano's son? Isn't that happening or should have happened already, but didn't because of COVID? Oh, I don't know. I haven't heard of that. Um, but yeah, there's lots of spin-offs at the moment. So that would make sense. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. If I, if I imagine that, I do apologize, but maybe we'll just edit it out. But if it's true, then you'll still be listening to this, I guess. Um, I I have been having weird <laughs> dreams. I don't know if um, I don't know if you ever have recurring dreams, but I I have this recurring dream, and I had it a couple of nights ago where I I'm still at school, and there's an exam coming at the end of the year, and I've realised that I haven't been studying at all, and everybody else has, and I'm freaking out about it, and then I slowly wake up, and I'm like. I'm like a grown ass man and I don't have exams to do and I've got work in the morning and I suddenly I feel really relieved and pleased to be an adult. That sounds stressful. Do you think all the news about schools being closed is getting to you? 
no, I'm frankly, uh, I just thank my lucky stars. I don't have s- children of school age that I'm having to homeschool right now. And it seems like every other person I talk to in the industry is having that particular fun to deal with. So um, for all of you homeschoolers out there, um, this uh, uh, we completely empathize and sympathize with you right now and hope it's going okay. Um, but speaking of change and disruption, I guess, um, it's only the end of January. And we've already had a flurry of brands launching agency reviews across creative advertising and media planning and buying. Um, This week, um, Brittany, you've written about Just Eat, which is the latest brand to do this. Um, We've also had Unilever that are gearing up to launch um, an international media review. British Airways, Creative Media, Philips Media, Twinings and Tetley Advertising, Bumble, the dating app, Media Creative, NatWest Media, I've written about that one. And of course, we mentioned Asda Advertising last week. Brittany, WTF <laughs> is going on with all these reviews. Yeah, it's quite busy. It's actually something that comes up later in my conversation with James and Metz. Um, James, James says that in some ways, lockdown and this crisis have created the conditions for many businesses to review. And a lot of it might be procurement led. Um, But I think, you know, it's undeniable that businesses are being forced to change at a really rapid pace. So I would imagine that's driving a lot of these reviews. Um, Just Eat, for example, like the food delivery market has become so uh, competitive in recent months because Restaurants have closed. People are forced to stay at home. Um, so Just Eat is going up against people like, well, competitors like Deliveroo, which is um, now backed by Amazon and is preparing to go public in the coming months. And then Uber Eats, which has also expanded a lot in the UK. And then its own business, like it recently merged with Takeaway.com. It's preparing to acquire Grubhub in the U.S. So the company is changing very quickly. And so in that sense, it does make sense that it's reviewing its advertising. Um, Of course, McCann is the incumbent, as we say, the current agency that does its advertising in the U.K. and of and has been invited to repitch as part of this review, as well as um, some challenges, some competitor agencies. Um, let's They've actually brought out a new ad for the beginning of the year. Let's have a quick listen to that. This is Just Eat. Hello, my friend. Daisy. Doris. Dean Master 4000. How are you today? Great. Did you have a good day working, chilling, yoga-ing, kayaking? Great. Time to hit up Just Eat for our KFC. Greg's. McDonald's with your favourite bug and bucket steak bake. Uh, ad, um, as I say, is by McCann, created by Ben Buswell and Joe Griffin, and this ad was directed by Finn Keenan through Riff Raff and Craft. UM also part of Ins Public, as is McCann, is the media agency. So, Brittany, um, this. This ad obviously doesn't feature Snoop Dogg. We talked about Snoop Dogg recently and the many ads he's been in. Um, why is why is the dog been kicked out? And what's going on with this new ad? I'm not sure. Maybe he's expensive, but oh. that's my main complaint about this ad is it doesn't have Snoop Dogg. And I'm being sincere when I say this: the Snoop Dogg ad with Just Eat Snoop Dogg ad last year was one of my favorites. Really? I just think it's um, it's very fun, it's silly, and it's memorable. And that's more than I can say about a lot of ads. And it was actually listed among our top film ads in 2020. So just shout out to McCann for creating that campaign. I think it's 
uh, it's been very successful. So I hope I, you know, I hope that they will be able to have the outcome that they want. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, just when you hear the, the start of it in the ad break, did somebody say Justy? Well, that was you a know, beautiful you... rendition of it. Thank you. Um, you just know what's coming, and you've seen the ad, and you can't help rewatching. I, I, I think I've seen it maybe about thirty, forty times because you just can't help looking at it when it comes with the ad break. Yeah. Should we also mention that Gideon, our editor in chief, is a big Snoop Dogg fan? Is he? Like how big of a fan? Well, Gideon has a background as a hip hop journalist, but I'm sure he doesn't want me to go too much into that. Uh, so Snoop Dogg. Oh, well, he's not here, listening. so go ahead. <laughs> that was one of Gideon's earlier jobs, and uh, I think it would be a dream interview for him to interview Snoop Dogg. So let's see if we can make that happen. Uh, well, Mr. Dog, if you're listening, we can hook you up. Um, I don't think you're a stranger to media, so hopefully this can happen. Um, now, now, Brittany, you said your main complaint is that um, Snoop Dogg's not in this ad. Is that is that the only thing you don't like about it, or what do you uh, think? I I like the tone of it. I think it has a similar um, spirit and kind of a silliness to it. Um, but it's just not as memorable, I think, as having... You know, even the... I think it was a Christmas ad didn't have Snoop Dogg himself pictured in it but it was his voice and his jingle and i think that's just worked really well for the brand it's a bit weird don't you think i don't know behind the scenes what's going on in terms of there was like a cutoff point in terms of when snoop dog could be used in their ad campaigns or whatever but it seems like an ad that as you say just isn't very or isn't as memorable i don't think it's memorable at all i actually watched it three times on youtube and i still am struggling to remember the salient details about it there's it, it it's it's i don't yeah, i don't understand too. what it's really trying to communicate other than hi we're just eat we're here and we've got mcdonald's you can order mcdonald's through us and that's kind of it i don't you know it's 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 it seems like it. You, you mentioned about all the acquisitions that it's making and of course um deliveroo in the uk is now part it's uh, Amazon has taken a big investment in Deliveroo. It's a very competitive space. Uber Eats, of course, is the other big one in the UK. And you're starting to get to the point where if you're a customer, where's your brand loyalty coming from? How do I choose between these? And yeah. they just seem like they're still in the market of showing people, oh, we're still there and we've got these these restaurants on our platform. I, I, I don't really think a lot of this ad. Yeah, I agree. And I think that Justy... From what I understand from my peers and friends who I speak to, Justy, I personally use Deliveroo. Deliveroo. I think Justy has this reputation of being kind of like the grubbier option. Like, sorry to be slightly insulting, but um, so like the, the the advertising, I don't think should match that if that's not the perception they want to have. Yeah, the the place where um, shall we say you you get your kebabs as opposed to your um your posh sushi brands, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so um, McCann will be uh, I, we presume looking to defend that, and as you said, um, huge amount of reviews. Um, they certainly gonna this isn't gonna be the end. January is not gonna be an outlier. I think we're gonna see this throughout the year. Um. And you mentioned um, it's a good time for brands to review. I think it's actually a good time for a lot of these network agencies to have reviews in a weird way as well. Not that many of them will want to because it's time and effort, obviously. But network agencies themselves, McCann is part of Interpublic, but, um, you know, the WPP, Publicist Group, Omnicom, etc. They've changed a lot 
Um, I wrote a story this week about um, James Bailey at Dentsu being appointed as the new uh, UK CEO of iProspect and Visium, which are merging to form iProspect. Um, and there's a, there's a lot we can presume there's going to be quite a bit of agency consolidation this year um publicist group they've had a lot of wins recently including samsung for crm and that was through a one public pub, you know a power of one publicist offer um so there's lots of different things that network agencies are doing and they're going to be wanting to have different conversations with them um, a lot of these big brands that are wanting to review on their side as well um and of course media is changing we just talked about you know you talked about the sopranos rewatch and um i just out of interest where are you rewatching sopranos i'm watching it on now tv but you know what's interesting i actually read um right before i started that the sopranos was one of the most popular shows of 2020 because a lot of people were um stuck at home and kind of had a similar thought as me which was oh i never got around to watching that let's give it a go so i just think that's uh, it's kind of funny that a show from a while back has become one of the more popular ones now. But it's interesting you say that because on Netflix in 2019, can you guess what the most popular show on Netflix was in the UK? 2019? 2019, before the pandemic. Oh, I can't remember that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, it was Friends. Friends was the most popular oh, show on Netflix. And, you know, because that's, you know, when you aggregate everyone's viewing, that's kind of, it's just like how it was on E4. That's what people are watching because it's so familiar, you know. Um, so there's a lot of that when it comes to, as mm. we say, these subscriber VOD platforms. Um, like a comfort watch for people. Yeah. You know what you're getting. Um, let's move on from that, but it's going to be something that I suspect we return to quite a lot, pitch activity in 2021. Now, Brittany, we didn't, um, we recorded that last week's episode just before the inauguration of Joseph Robinette Biden as the 46th US <laughs> president. Um, we're going to have a couple of ads which speak to actually Kamala Harris. I must get the pronunciation right. Even though the judge that swore her in didn't pronounce it right, if you listen back to that. Anyway, um, Kamala Harris was sworn in as the first female and um, black slash South Indian American to be US vice president, uh, which was an amazing moment. Um, these two ads, um, one by The Guardian is a print ad by Uncommon. Um, we obviously can't listen to a clip of that, but... Um, Firstly, explain um, what's going on here. So the Guardian is continuing its platform from previous months where it's, I think it's called Hope is Power. Um, so it's just, plan, you know, sharing this message of hope and it does that through the lens of her inauguration. And this other ad, we're going to do these two together. This is by Girl Up, which is a gender equality youth initiative, um, part of the United Nations Foundation. And this ad celebrates Kamala Harris's achievement. Um, let's have a quick listen to that. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That ad was by Ogilvy, created by Alvaro Rivera and Luca Cortegiano, and directed by Giovanni Messner. Um, so... This is obviously a big moment, um, Kamala Harris, and we've got the, these ads which are speaking to that. Um, Brittany, what do you think about these? The Girl Up one is quite affecting. It's simple. Like, there's not much of um, a big idea behind it. It's just um, watching people 
watch her inauguration, her being sworn in. And it's emotional because it, you know, it's, it's a big moment. She's making history. So just seeing people's reactions to that milestone, I think is emotional. Um, the, the Guardian one, I think also went down pretty well. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting to see the Guardian take a stance on something like that. Um, as a, as a news publication, um, I don't know. Do you think that that compromises their objectivity? Not necessarily. I think people understand, I, mean, I think um, particularly the news brands, they, it's important to show their values and where they are not, you know, as a, in terms of um, being in the Guardian's case, being um, supporters of anti-racism, if I can put it that way, that sounds clunky, but um, obviously um, being, being supportive of the first female and, you know, women of color in two different ways, uh, US vice president is, is a thing to be supportive of. Um, and I think the, the Guardian rightly, in my view, um, wants to, wants to show that, um, virtue signaling is, I guess, a kind of a slightly pejorative term that people use, but that, that's what's going on. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's a news brand doing that. Um, and, um, I suppose uncommon as the agency behind it is supportive of that as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess my only concern, and it's not just about these ads, is that everyone thinks this is kind of like the climax of the story, like the good guys won and now it's over. Like there's lots of um, problems that still need to be worked out. So I think it's, it's great to celebrate it, but I would hope that organizations like The Guardian continue to cover these issues oh yeah don't get me started um and okay you got me started you know it's we 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 mentioned when we were talking the other week about um you know the 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 fascists and the the rabble rousers who descended on the capital and it's just a sign you know we said that this 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 didn't start with trump and it's not going to end now that trump is gone and you're completely right there's a unfortunately the u.s has got some real real problems and it's not going to go away overnight um having said that talking about news and donald trump do you do you do you suspect that i'm going to say we as in journalists do you suspect that we're, we're already missing trump the news feels a lot more stable and dare i say boring over the last week yeah i i mean cynically probably yeah i i never followed trump on twitter actually because i just found it to um uh, I, I probably because I am American, I found it really hard to see his tweets. But um, I know many others saw it as a form of entertainment. Um, but I think that that attitude, whether you're liberal or conservative, looking at it that way is very dangerous and what have led to some of these problems that we have. What do you think? Do you miss him? I would be perfectly happy if I never, if he just disappeared into a black hole. We never saw or heard from him again. Uh, he's a disgusting person. And, you know, I blocked him on Twitter years ago now, I think. And he's never said anything of value. And it's interesting. I think there was a study that showed that since Trump and all the bots that fed off his activity since he's left Twitter, 72% of the misinformation has gone away on that platform. Um, it might not be just Twitter, it might be at Facebook as well. But you just get this sense of, you know, that we've, we've, we've been talking about for years about how social media, there's such a problem with misinformation and fake news and all the rest of it. When actually, if you just take out the biggest actors, i.e., you know, Donald Trump and name some others as well, you start to get rid of a huge amount of that misinformation. And while you can't get rid of everything, you can at least make a start. Um, 
they've that you know these platforms unfortunately have allowed politics to get in the way um given trump donald trump a lot of leeway over the years um but interesting on about twitter they've um just overnight on tuesday morning they announced that they were going to pilot a new crowdsourced misinformation tool called birdwatch they've admitted that it might be messy because what they're actually doing they're allowing users to annotate tweets that they believe to misleading um they're piloting this in the u.s um as opposed to you know for years they've been saying that they can't do you know um moderation they can't moderate every tweet because there's just so much content that happens on the platform but they're actually wikipedia style going to allow people to do that so um I, I guess it's better than nothing but frankly when you look at all the damage that's been caused and to the point where um this guy was inciting an insurrection on social media um it's kind of like bolting or you know the expression about horses and bolting doors anyway you got me started let's move on let's move on to closer to home governmental affairs and um there's still a pandemic happening in case you didn't know um and the government's been busy with its advertising as it has as it continues to be um last week it had an ad that was pulled um let's have a quick listen of this someone jogging walking their dog or working out in the park is highly likely to have covid19 this is a national health emergency Around one in three people have no symptoms and are spreading it without knowing. So exercise locally. If you're on your own, you can meet one other person. But keep your distance. Exercise. Don't socialize. This was a radio ad, and you'll uh, recognize that familiar voice of the pandemic, Mark Strong, uh, the actor, um, where he says joggers are highly likely to have COVID-19. Um, this led to multiple complaints to the ASA, the Advertising Standards Authority, and the ad was subsequently pulled. Um, I, I want to mention that because um, there's another ad that's come out by the UK government that's called Look Into My Eyes by Mullen Lowe. Uh, let's have a quick listen to that one now and then we'll talk about these ads together. Look them in the eyes and tell them you're doing all you can to stop the spread of COVID-19. Stay home, protect the NHS, save lives. So yes, Look Into My Eyes, uh, not the other one, was created by Jane Bryars and Dave Cornmill at Mullen Lowe and directed by Simon Rattigan through HLA. Uh, the media agency is Omnigov. Um, Brittany, so looking at these ads together, um, do you think that we're seeing a change of tone? The first ad, which has now been pulled, is you know saying <laughs> joggers, joggers might have COVID, be careful. And this one is actually saying, you know, you can't look this person in the eyes and you know imagine if you give this person COVID-19 it's much more aggressive don't you think what's going on yeah the most recent one is more emotional and um I think the first one is probably a bit more dry but also there is a kind of tone of being lectured I guess or maybe like you could interpret it as you know uh guilt tactics um I think the first one that was pulled, I find it very confusing what their message is because it starts by saying if you're, you know, joggers could have COVID, but then it says that you can exercise. So I, I think that, you know, it's just very confusing. I don't understand um, what I think a lot of people would just not be sure what to do in that case. Uh, then there's an ad, don't let a coffee cost lives. I just think the problem is that a lot of people are very fatigued and 
telling someone you can't pick up a coffee, which could support a small business and just be a very tiny moment of joy in your day might not be the most effective message. Um, But moving on to the most recent ad, I I guess it's a similar, I have a similar concern about it. Um, But I want, I kind of feel if you're going to go down this emotional route, why not make the stories more personal? Why not introduce the viewers to real people with a name who've had real experiences with the disease? I, I kind of think that kind of story might stick with people more than just um, the way they've done it now. What do you think? I think what they should do is they they could they could um they could tell stories about people that have breached the rules and the impact they have had um so for instance you could have um dominic from london works as a silver servant decided it'd be a good idea to um test his eyesight by um taking a uh, taking a long trip in the northeast to durham castle with his son in the back um, e- even though um, they had COVID-19 and they were supposed to be isolating. I think that would be a good one. What do you think? Yeah, that story sounds engaging. Yeah, I mean, yeah, ridiculous. I mean, no one in their right mind would ever do something like that. And I'm, uh, sure, I'm sure if they did, they would ultimately be pilloried and lose their job ultimately. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think personal stories, you're right, are the, are the way to go with that. Um, okay, Brittany, we're running out of time. I want to get to your interview with James Murphy and met Brian Fasano from other um before we do what are you up to over the next few days what what other glamorous things are you up to yeah this is um kind of an outside work thing but related to a piece i have coming out on thursday evening i'm chairing a panel with commercial break the organization um about dyslexia and creativity so if you're around and you'd like to join in i think it'll be a really interesting discussion and uh, it ties to my feature about neurodiversity, which is out in the February issue. Ah, very interesting indeed. Um, neurodiversity, of course, you know, there's there's so many things that people either um, in the past haven't felt comfortable talking about, or it just hasn't quite risen to that level of, um, you know, being classed as mental illness or mental disability or however, you know, you're supposed to call it. Um, so really interesting. And um, just very quickly, do you think um, the creative industries, do you think in particular um, there are, it maybe attracts more neurodiverse people because it attracts people with different ways of thinking that are attracted to the creative sector? Definitely. There's actually statistics that support that. There are a higher proportion of people in the creative industries who are neurodivergent in some way compared to the general public. And there are lots of reasons for that, um, but I won't give anything away so that you'll read the feature. <laughs> you tease, you tease. Um, of course, all these ads, I'll put links in the show notes um, that you can see all the work stories on campaignlive.co.uk. I'll learn to say that correctly one day. <laughs> of course, you can also uh, read the latest news stories. We've talked about some of them. Um, some of my highlights, we've got Gideon Spanier, um, our UK editor-in-chief and Snoop Dogg fan. Um, he's written a piece called Seven Trends for 2021. What do we think? Uh, and that includes um, e-commerce. The booming e-commerce is set to um, continue. And we actually saw an example of that by Boohoo, uh, the digital retailer, um, going in for Debenhams. Um, really interesting. Um, and also I mentioned my iProspect uh, CEO interview. And also in media news, Marco Batozzi has left Spotify. Um, interesting. You can read that on campaignlive.co.uk. Um, thanks very much, Brittany. And now let's get to your interview. Thanks very much. Thanks, Omar. Thanks, Omar. 
Hello everyone, I'm here today with James Murphy, founding partner of New Commercial Arts, and Metz Brian Fazano, co-founder and production leader of Other, which is a spin-off shop of Mother. So last year, James and Metz were in an unusual situation of helping to start businesses during a pandemic. Uh, it turned out actually that they weren't alone. Last year, in the second half of 2020, there was a wave of ad agency startups that cropped up during very unusual circumstances. In October alone, there were six high-profile agency launches, including other. So now that we're in a third national lockdown in the UK and the crisis is dragging on longer than most of us expected, I wanted to talk to both of them about how it's going, any lessons they've learned so far, and how they see the future. So hi, James and Metz. Welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. So I'd love to hear from both of you first why you personally wanted to be part of a startup at this time. I know that, you know, for James, with it, for example, you were planning to start NCA for a long time before the pandemic started. But can you tell me what motivated you to start again after you were at Adam and Eve? I mean, I'd, overall, I can't believe um, I can't believe that um, everyone doesn't want to do a startup in our industry because um, being honest about it i think the barriers to entry are fairly low and uh and it's just uh, a very very kind of exciting and rewarding experience uh the thing that made me and my other co-founders want to do it um was just getting getting back close to the work close to the challenges and close to the clients um i think the way that uh, big agencies structure themselves can be a little bit inhuman it takes you further and further away from the reason that you came into the industry the work that you love doing and you get bogged down in hr and management and so on and i think we felt we wanted to get back onto the front line yeah what about you Mets? why did you want to join a new business now i think for me in my career i've always had a hard time standing still and i'm always trying to get out of my comfort zone and i think starting your own agency is the dream i think everyone in the industry sees how exciting that can be. Like what James has said, why not do it? So that was one of the big triggers for me. And going into a place like Other, seeing how we wanted to structure our founding partners, that was a really big pull because having production as a part of the founding foundations, I think is really exciting. Coming from a project management and production background, Sometimes we do feel like we're second fiddle or not really part of that conversation. So it felt like it was an opportunity to be part of that new wave, new generation. We're thinking about being more inclusive and having a diverse team of founders, you know, having that gender balance, coming from different countries, having personalities, but having really the same values. It felt like this was the time, the moment in time to be able to to really get out there and be part of something new and exciting. Yeah, so as I mentioned in the intro, there were actually uh, quite a few agencies that started last year. It definitely surprised me, um, I guess just because of the timing. And um, in October alone, there were so many that we wrote about on campaign. What What do you think are some of the factors that triggered that trend? And James, do you expect to see that continue again into this year? I wouldn't be surprised if it did, because I think the sort of um, some of the the changes have only really just begun sweeping through the industry. And I think uh, that, you know, obviously the pandemic is a terrible situation, but it's probably accelerated change that needed to happen. And um, and it will have 
just given quite a lot of people just that extra impetus to to take the step to start the thing that perhaps they've been thinking about for a while. Yeah. Mats, do you think that there are any commonalities between other and some of the other businesses that started over the past several months? Well, I feel like the best creativity does come back to coming from hardships and coming from adversity. And I think it's like you have that feeling where you can only live once, like Drizzy Drake from my fellow Canadian says, YOLO. So it's like, (laughs) I feel like maybe other people had that idea too, that clients are looking for that independent creative thinking. There's an appetite for that. And that's really one of the factors that triggered um, other into coming into the space right now. So I really do feel like there's going to be more of that. People feel like this is a chance to really flex their creative muscle. Some of the larger conglomerates, you know, they have, as James mentioned, there's like the, all these layers. And sometimes the focus isn't so much on the creativity anymore. It's on the stakeholders. It's on the policies. And it's harder to make those moves. So I do feel like having less red tape is really something that is enticing right now. So I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, 2021 even more people come out and try this. Yeah. And as you kind of touch on, so something I noticed uh, when this trend started was that quite a few of the new businesses talked about positioning themselves as a different kind of agency. Some of them were even hesitant to call themselves an agency at all. So why do you think that is? Do you think that the agency model as it stands now is fundamentally broken? Um, James, you kind of wrote about this for campaign recently, right? Yeah. I mean, I think... I suppose on one level, um, you know, if we went, if we wanted to, we could sort of bang on about how we have a different model. And because we have, um, I mean, funny enough, a bit like Metz was saying, we have one of our um, co-founders um, is is the production leader of our agency. We think that's very important. But also one of the other co-founders is probably um, the best practitioner in customer experience, certainly in the UK, possibly in the world. And I think, so we could say there is a new model, but I kind of think there's all it's such a cliche for people to say that and the truth is no one really cares about your model what they care about is your output and um if you choose to wire yourself slightly differently internally good for you you know but let's what can you actually deliver for your clients you know out into the media out into culture um that makes a difference um how you do it is much less important yeah And do you think that, so obviously when, you know, I remember James, when NCA officially launched in May, I think I certainly assumed that we'd probably be in this situation a couple more months and then things would start to go back to normal. Now we're in, you know, end of January, probably none of us expected us to still be working remotely and and working in the way that we are. So do you think now that we're in the second year of this, has the crisis permanently altered how you'll operate your agency? Yeah, I think that timeline was certainly, I mean, for some reason, um, I definitely had it in my head last year when we had the first lockdown. I think I had a sort of slightly back to school sort of mentality about it, which was it'll all be back to normal on September the 3rd or 4th. And, you know, because we would have had a lockdown, had a bit of a summer holiday, and then it'll come back to normal. And, of course, it hasn't been like that at all. And we had to get used to that idea of this slightly bleak, sort of listless existence stretching out in front of us. And then it got even worse over Christmas and New Year when it looked like it was just going to stretch out forever. And and I think that it's it's very much, it's it's such a sort of double-edged thing for me because I think on one level I find it really sort of, 
frustrating, annoying, melancholy at times, and, and so on. And then on the other level, you go, it's brilliant, because we've, we've learned to do what we do in different ways. We've learned to do new things, and it means that we can change. And, and I think we need to re- be really, really vigilant that we don't just reflex back into the, you know, can't wait to get back to the way we worked before. Because actually, there have been some much more positive and quite enlightening ways of, of working through the, through the lockdown. Yeah, what have some of those been for you? Like, what have been some unexpected perks of the situation? I think that um, using the sort of channels that we do, whether it's kind of Zoom or Teams or things like that, um, there's a sort of, it. you cut to the chase much more quickly. They're more efficient channels in terms of, you know, it makes you um, try and, surface your ideas quicker articulate why they're good what the weaknesses might be quicker and um and it means you're not trapped in this endless cycle of sort of hour-long meetings um or meetings in units of hours and so on now having said that i've noticed that as lockdown has dragged on and coming back is that some people seem to be trying to reinstate the old physics of how we work you know and we had someone tried to put in a zoom meeting for two hours last week and you just go okay that's entirely wrong it's not good for people you're not going to get a good result from that and so on and (laughs) um yeah but i think that so the benefits have been i think getting us cutting to the chase a bit more quickly and it's meant that um I think it's slightly changed the way that we work creatively as well in the sense that because we can't congregate physically, I think we tend to try and congregate spiritually around ideas earlier in the process. So you get people pushing ideas and surfacing ideas earlier so that we can gather around them and start working on them. And and I think it's been quite a positive experience. Is it difficult for some people? I would imagine, you know, being in a virtual environment or on Zoom that has a different feel to pitching ideas like that. I would think that might even be kind of intimidating for some creatives to put their ideas forward. Mm. Um, how are you finding that process of just coming up with ideas? Do you know what? I, I don't think it's felt particularly stymied. And I mean, we're, we've got some, you know, really, really young, energetic creatives like Charlotte and Laura Lee and Mary and Kenny. And none of them seem at all intimidated by by the medium um i would say do you know what i've I've actually been thinking my god when we do all end up in a physical space together these people are going to be so intimidating because they're so upfront already (laughs) on zoom what's it going to be like when we're in a when we're in a space together but the uh i mean obviously there's a lot to look forward to in that but i think the i've not seen them become cowed by it at all Uh, what i have seen the problem is um some of those situations where um, you really are, if you're blocked and you're trying to get to a solution, um, you sit there and you go, if we, if, if we were just in the space together, it would be a lot easier. And sometimes when you're doing, particularly on the new business front, I mean, you know, chemistry meetings are a bit more difficult because, you know, Zoom and Teams and stuff, the, the experience is just a bit more constipated. You have to wait for people to stop speaking and you can't really read the body language. And, you know, you just don't get the same sense of what these people are like. Yeah. Uh, just to go back to the, the actual, you know, ins and outs of making work. So for Met, um, for you, Mets, how are you finding actually producing campaigns? Like I know in the beginning, the first lockdown, it, I think it felt like everyone kind of froze, like they didn't know what to do and what the best 
uh, way of making work would be. Do you find that you're kind of in a groove now and you know how to get around those challenges of lockdown or what's it been like for you? Yeah, I think when it first hit lockdown, there was definitely a panic, like, what do we do? We'll never shoot again, um, because it was that fear of the unknown. But we've come such a long way since then. The APA and the IPA have been really good. We feel like there are parameters for us to be able to go out and shoot. Health and safety, of course, is always number one. And there's always moving parts because the government guidelines are changing. And you have to also respect people's personal boundaries. But I think that now there's a framework. So even when the government comes with a new tier, you know exactly where to go and double check things. You don't have to rewrite it from scratch. So I think there is a confidence. There are frameworks. There's a groove. So I don't think we're so afraid of just pursuing creative and being open to producing whatever the ideas, however they may come. So I think I think we're in a comfortable space now. But of course, you know, we all want to go on a shoot in the Caribbean and we all <laughs> want to have that lifestyle again. And everyone coming to shoots is really positive, especially for the younger creatives, having that experience of being on set. Um, that's, you know, something that they're losing out on. And of course, remote reviewing, it's not as good as when you get to go into, you know, the booth, into the edit suite and watch it, you know, with the big sound and the big screen, you know, some things we're missing out on. But I think overall, there's a confidence now that we can still go forward and pursue and produce really good work. I I think it's been quite refreshing, actually, how clear the direction has been from uh, the government on this one issue, because we Mm. were, when we came back in the new year, we were in the final stages of pre-production on a very, very big shoot, and the lockdown kind of tightened. And I think the Boris made his announcement about eight o'clock at night. And I mean, I think it was about 10 o'clock that night. You could see on gov.uk the various guidelines for industries. And a lot of the guidelines were really quite broad and fluffy. And then it was almost like one separate paragraph with one sentence that just said exterior and interior shoots for TV or film may continue. And you were just like, excellent, clear. We can hmm. work with that. That's good. And <laughs> but I mean, we've had... Um, you know, I think it's been an interesting experience because Mets talked about that, the, the lifestyle of shooting and things like that. But I mean, you know, we've all got used to doing shoots where almost no one from the agency or the client side is physically on the shoot. And, um, you know, it will be interesting to see whether that washes through to new new ways of working. I think the other thing that you get with Zoom and Teams on shoots is I'd say a sort of you get a, a surplus of democracy in the sense of, you know, there are so many people watching the playback down a Zoom that, you know, you're debating a, a shot or something like that. And suddenly Trev, the assistant in client's finance department, chips in and says, yeah, I'm not sure it's lit correctly. And <laughs> um, and it's a bit kind of, you're like, wow, where did that come from? So <laughs> it's um, it's become, it, the danger with Zoom and Teams is in that production process, the committee's got a lot bigger as a result mm. of that. Um, but we've just come through a big shoot where, we had all the COVID drama you could want. You know, we had, we'd cast various things, like we'd cast families as real families. So they were kind of like safe bubbles with COVID. And you had a backup for the main family. You had a backup for the backup. And sure enough, we had two of the main family tested positive a couple of days before the shoot. We switched in the new family and then Mm. moved on from the film to the stills. And then the 
the fallback family had lost an elderly relative to COVID and they had to attend a funeral on the day of the still shoot and then the still photographer tested positive. And so it was, yeah, and it was just wow. like, and you'll think... Oh my God. <laughs> Producer was having a yeah, great time. and you'll kind of think, this is like a sort of, this is a nervous breakdown sort of every day. But actually... It's just astonishing the way that the, the production company and our production team and the clients, you just, the way they've rolled with it has been astonishing because, and we've got the first kind of assets back in terms of the raw photography and the offline edits, and you'd never know there was all of this going on in the background. It looks great. I feel like, com- you know, the production, being able to roll with it, calm within the chaos, even, I feel like that's kind of the lifestyle that producers and production teams that we've become used to and so when the covid situation happened i think it just made us more resilient and we already had that kind of in our arsenal so i think that in a way it's it's definitely something that's making us stronger better and flexing the muscles that we you know we already had yeah yeah i i love the fact that we, our our kind of equivalent co-founder Mets is um is a guy called Matt Craigie who you probably know <laughs> and yeah i love yeah, him Craig, shout out to Matt Craigie yeah <laughs> Atherton totally and he um <laughs> and he's so i mean he is the absolute master of low balling any situation you know you're like literally plague pestilence typhoon the whole thing and he's like okay yeah. leave it with me and <laughs> <laughs> it just sort of gets sorted Yeah, well, that sounds stressful. Shout out to the producers who can stay so calm in those situations. Um, Do you think that there's something about being a startup that puts you at an advantage in these kinds of really tense, ever-changing environments? I do think so. I mean, I've come from a background of, you know, bigger, bigger conglomerates, bigger networks, and there's just a lot of red tape and there's a lot of, there's a lot of hardship when it comes to pivoting. When you come in to a startup, especially now, we've seen what works and what doesn't in terms of how the economy is going, customer behaviors, like what people are focusing on. So I feel like that's a major advantage because we can use those learnings straight away and hit the ground running on responding to those issues and responding in a positive way. So I feel like that's a massive advantage. And again, that's why I think maybe people are going to really want to start going in that direction this year. I think also the... Um if you're a large existing sort of entity, you know, a large agency, you've got several hundred employees, a situation like the pandemic happens, you know, your first priority is your employees and effectively it job protection. How do you keep those people in jobs and keep paying them? And, and I suppose the advantage of a startup is you haven't got anything to protect because there isn't anything there. So that your most of the most of your energy and your motion is forward motion and and it's kind of growing. Whereas obviously if in established businesses, a lot of their energies have to go into sort of managing decline or minimizing decline and, and so on. And that, that's a pretty fundamental difference in emotional experience, I think. Hmm. Well, let's talk about new business. Just in recent weeks, we've actually seen quite a few business reviews that we've covered on campaign. What kind of appetite do you think clients have to work with a startup? Like, would they see that as another risk factor? No, I feel like there's a lot of appetite for creative thinking and independent creative thinking and working with really great talent. And I think a lot of great talent are looking to go into startups because they see that as a really positive way to get their work out faster. 
you know? So I think that's one of the big reasons why clients want it. Independent thinking. Also, they can feel like a priority. When you're working in these huge places, you might not have that face time with, you know, the senior leadership or the founders. You might not feel like they are really mm -hmm. focused on your brand as much. And there's less room, I think, for some collaboration and I find that collaboration is the key to have those really great creative conversations and build that trust. So if I was a marketer, I would be very interested in working with um, an agency that's smaller, that's really going to take my business needs uh, as a major priority and someone that I can have, you know, first name basis and be just really feel like I'm part of the team. And I think there's always yeah. an appetite in clients for um, testing, the testing new ways and boundaries. I mean, we found when we started Adam and Eve, there were, you know, we were put on large pitch lists like, you know, John Lewis and the Telegraph very, very early on against huge agencies because I think clients go, look, I'm looking at three or four agencies. Let's have at least one challenger wildcard on there. And I think the, um, the other thing that's happened is the conditions under which we kind of work and pitch in terms of, you know, over these virtual channels is extremely democratizing. So, you know, we can turn up on a, uh, as a startup over Zoom and we look exactly the same as, McCann or Adam and Eve DDB or any of those we look you know there's no physical difference there's no large marble mm. reception with you know uh, receptionists and sort of greeters and you know a big building with a with a facade and so on it's um we all look the same and I think that's a benefit and I don't know quite what's happened to new business since we came back from Christmas but it's gone mad and yeah um and I think one of the new business consultants was saying that they think that actually the lockdown period last year uh, provided the sort of conditions for clients to almost do those sort of statutory reviews where they weren't looking around competitively, but they were certainly reviewing how they were working with existing partners and what they were getting and so on. And perhaps that moment of reflection then spurred a sort of outpouring of action in the new year. I feel like pitching this lockdown might be the best thing that's ever happened to the whole idea of pitching, because I, when you explain pitching to other people that are not in the industry and you say you work really hard, you give away your answer for free and um, you spend loads of money and like they actually think you're crazy. And if you think about it, I think it is crazy. You know, why do we do it this way? I don't know One to ponder for another conversation. <laughs> but I feel like when you have that, as you said, democratized like situation now it levels the playing field and you can just focus on the actual work you can focus on the creativity less on the bells and whistles less um because obviously you know the bigger places they say marble receptions they have more to spend on the fluff so i feel like maybe this is a chance for us as an industry to actually reset and decide how do we want to move forward with pitching because i do find this new way refreshing in terms of just putting the focus where it should be, which is the, the ideas. Yeah, hmm. I think, although I, I would say one thing I've noticed um, in the last nine months or so is um, I it feels like procurement are much more involved in pitching than they were the last time we did a startup in the sense of, you know, even though we're small, we're, we're wading through 100-page-plus contracts, um, huge sort of procurement questionnaires, and... Um, and that's when you realise there is an advantage probably for big agencies there where they have these sort of large new business teams that kind of are just adept at filling out all of these things. But I think the other thing that um, that I think we have to be really vigilant about is in that more kind of procurement-led um, environment is that, 
you know, you have to read those contracts carefully because there's almost always a clause in there that says, you know, that you need to get rid of because it says anything you share with us at the pitch is ours. And obviously that's nonsense because, no, the only stuff you own is what you pay for if you hire us. So, Yeah, that's good advice. I also wanted to ask you about, you know, as we're leading a creative business, it's full of creative people. It can be quite difficult if you're a creative person or any kind of person to stay motivated and find inspiration when you're working remotely and you maybe never leave your bedroom throughout the day. So how are you kind of fostering that environment and motivating staff in this situation where it just seems to be dragging on and there's not really a clear end in sight? Well, I feel like personally, as a, as the human race, I know this is a really hard time for us, but we've always found a way in the past and sometimes harder situations to come through. So I feel like just individually, and this is something I do myself, is to remember that we need to still find gratitude and motivate ourselves um, as individuals. But on top of that, I think people, they want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to feel like someone's paying attention to them and caring because they're stuck at home alone in their room. So I do feel like you need to make sure you have that one-on-one time, especially with the managers, you know, the creative directors, with the creatives and across the board, everyone involved in the agency. And they need to get that feedback and feel like you're still moving forward in your career, even though you feel like you're also just having Groundhog Day. Um, so I just I just think that's really important to make sure people don't feel invisible because I know what it's like, you know, you're afraid to speak up in the Zoom or you're afraid that you're going to be talked over. You really want to make sure that your team feels seen and feels valued. And it's surprising how much that can just motivate people. In terms of creativity, I do think this is a great chance for people to really find their passions and create things outside of work. I think at Other, we're very into the side hustle and having your own passions outside of the industry. I feel like that's going to be something people should really take the time and explore, explore different creative outlets personally and bring that inspiration to your work. Of course, it's hard. And that's why I say it comes back to also personal motivation. You need to make sure that you are not seeing no end light at the end of the tunnel because we will get out of this. And how proud will we be when we look at everything we've achieved from our bedrooms? Mm. Mm. I think possibly the the other thing is, you know, you know, obviously people do jobs because they're stimulated by them and they want to, you know, earn a living and so on. But behind all of that, I think there's a sense in which most people have a feeling about whether they're growing or not in what they're doing. And I think that sense of am I growing has probably been one of the most challenged areas for a lot of people because, and I think it's been different. I mean, it's amazing how we're all, the people who work in agencies are share so much in terms of their, I think many of their perspectives on life and their kind of values and, and what they think is important. And yet people's life situations can be massively different, even though they're working quite closely together. And, you know, if you're a, a parent, you've got three small children at home and you're working, fine, there are some pressures involved in that in terms of logistically, but equally you have a stimulating job and then you have sort of exciting family stuff to deal with. If you're uh, starting out in your career and you're in a flat share and you're battling over dodgy Wi-Fi and, you know, you're stuck in your bedroom and that's all your, that's the only real estate you've got, that's a very different experience. And people are working very closely together, but with wildly different experiences. And I think for the oldsters like us, this situation has been sort of 
quite exciting because we're getting to use mm. our existing skills in new ways. I think for younger people, although perhaps the the initial thought might have been, oh, they'll flourish in this environment because they're super digital natives and so on, I think many of them have probably looked at it and thought, after a month or so, am I have I stopped growing here? Am I still learning anything? Because one of the things of being in that environment together is you learn just by being around other people, and that's not happening so much. And I think we do have to think about other ways of helping people grow and feel like they're growing. Yeah, definitely. So before we wrap up, what is one thing that each of you learned in 2020 that you'd like to do differently this year, either for yourself personally in your work life or for your team? I think for me, I've learned that I have to continue expecting the unexpected and always keep an open mind because this year, you know, it, we are faced with feeling out of control. And sometimes that leads to panic thinking. It leads to personal stress. And what I've learned is you have to be open to change. You have that comes from, you know, in your personal life, but also open to the creative ideas that come my way, open to being able to find new solutions to problems that you thought you already knew the answers to, um, open to surrender, you know, open to being flexible. You kind of have to like let go of anything that you thought, anything that you were expecting and know that actually you can you can only control how you respond to something. You can't control what you're responding to. So for me, it's being completely, I surrender, you know, I surrender and I'm grateful just to be here. And I, I think I'd probably echo that and say, I just think we've, we all have to be even more candid about how we're feeling than ever before you know if you if you like mm. what you're doing say so if you don't say so if you like what you see say so and if you don't say it because it's that's you know some of those things that would have just worked by us being near each other work less well now and you know the the only way I think we get to the most exciting ways of working and minimize the sometimes the stressful energy involved in that is by candor and honesty Thanks again for listening to the campaign podcast brought to you by Campaign Magazine. Thanks to James Murphy, Mets, Brian Fazzano and Brittany Kiefer for coming on this week's show. This episode was edited by Lindsay Riley. And remember, listener, you can get links to all the ads and the other things we've talked about today in the show notes. That will take you to campaignlive.co.uk where you can read about all the latest industry stories and see the latest major ad campaigns. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss future episodes and leave a review if you feel like it. Until next week, please stay safe, be kind to one another and catch you then. Bye-bye.